whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. I have George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy and just want to start off by thanking everyone for the feedback from the recent George Knapp interview. Obviously, it was a great honour and pleasure for me speaking to someone like George Knapp and it certainly stirred up a little bit of controversy, particularly George talking about security clearances that he may or may not have been offered in the past and his comment of uh, alien bodies being thrown in there certainly was uh, had a lot of dms about that put it that way from from some familiar faces you might have heard about um later myself this uh, later this week myself and dan are going to record a little bit of a bonus show and we are going to be discussing understudied and underappreciated aspects of the phenomenon uh, upcoming shows after that we'll have uh, some brits on malcolm robinson paul sinclair and then steve bassett will be joining me as well later on in the month also, just confirmed, Tim McMillan is going to be coming back on for a part two, and Tim will be discussing the debrief, uh, the UAP task force report, and a little bit more as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Very much been looking forward to the podcast today. I say that all the time, but I am looking forward to this one uh, a little bit extra. It's rescheduled from a few weeks ago. Uh, on the pod with me uh, is Ryan Bledsoe, whose family, as you have probably heard the surname, is one of the most foremost experiences of phenomenon not just the phenomenon but phenomenon on the planet so thanks for coming on ryan welcome to the podcast thank you andy i'm happy to be here sorry about the reschedule but it seemed to kind of line up really nice today so it has no no listen it's worked out absolutely fine man and people have got lives that go on in the background of these things as well um but it's great to have you on uh a ton of listener questions, a ton of interest in this one. Even when it got rescheduled, had loads of messages and emails of when Ryan coming on. So uh, <laughs> very much let's get into it because there's a lot to go through as well. Now, sure. I want to start right at the top, Ryan. For anyone who doesn't know yourself or your family story, of which there, there will be some listeners, where does it begin and how far back does your family's experiences go? Okay, so the story um, in its official capacity begins in 2007. I'm sure most people who are aware of who I am know that my dad is um, Christopher Lenz Bledsoe Sr. He had his initial, um, you know, major encounter in 2007. But as I said on um, Fade to Black with Jimmy Church recently, we did actually see something some years before that, but it wasn't anything super crazy. It was just like a light in the sky, but it was very close. We knew it wasn't a plane. Um, the earliest I can recall a sighting is definitely, I don't know, 2002, um, maybe 2001. But uh, again, in the f- official capacity, it begins in 2007 without a doubt. Um, did you want me to go into that at all? Or just, we just kind of... Yeah, yeah, please listen. Tell, tell us what's been going on. Tell us what's happening. Okay. So in 2007, my father... Um, was really down and out. He had Crohn's disease. Um, it's not necessarily fatal, but it's very debilitating to day-to-day life. It's, you know, 
basically incurable. He was running a huge construction operation, which obviously requires a lot of um, mental fortitude. And between the Crohn's and the stress, he was seeing a doctor at the time who in the community was, it was later found out that he gave um, a lot of people some really toxic medications and it nearly killed my father. He was actually pronounced dead at one point, something about his um, triglyceride count being so high that his body just couldn't make it anymore. He had an out-of-body experience. Not many people know this. I don't know if my dad's ever mentioned it, but um, it he was revived and you know it kind of messed with his physical health for a while. And that's leading up to 2007 where he was so distraught from, you know, being ill, having the Crohn's, um, basically having to give the business away, you know, on his literal deathbed. Um, he went out to the river fishing and he basically said, God, kill me or heal me, you know, take me away or make things right with me. I'm giving it to you, giving my life to you. And, um, then the whole UFO thing happened. He saw the lights in the sky. Um, I can just gloss over that a little bit because I'm sure your listeners in, in some way know the story and have heard it millions of times. But basically he saw these two lights and then a third one came up and they looked like about as big as the sun in the, in the um, you know evening sky. And he had four hours of missing time, walked back down to the embankment where the river is. And my brother was searching for my dad for hours. And on top of that, for two hours, he was pinned down in the woods. Um, and when I say pinned down, I don't mean physically. I mean, there were these two um, little beings with glowing red eyes that basically wouldn't let him move when they looked at him. So for, for about two hours there, my brother was just like in shock, in horror, staring at these glowing beings. And then sometime before that, they had also been searching for my dad. So four hours of missing time. It was a you know full-on contact thing. And um, here we are today. So... And I think for most people are experiencers the the story that, like you say, you've you've kind of glossed over because it's been told so many times, and I appreciate mm-hmm. you just revisiting it. Mm-hmm. That that is their whole story, and that is their experience with the phenomenon. But for your father and your family, that's the beginning of so much more that's gone on since, and and continues to happen to this day. And that's what we're going to look at, and that's what makes the story that's happening still all the more fascinating as well. And even more so that it started with your dad, but you've got more and more involved, especially with the social media presence. I don't know if that's an age thing. Um, obviously, it's, it's probably a bit stupid to say you're younger than your father because most people are younger than their fathers. That's how it tends to work biologically. Yeah. Uh, but you, you've got really involved and you talk to people on different platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And that people do really appreciate that and obviously gravitate towards that as well. Now, you, you did mention your, your father before it had started had that out of body experience. And that's not something I've heard of previously. I don't know if it has been mentioned or not, but thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that does have any correlation to what then happened later on? Do you think that the phenomenon, is that almost a gateway to what's happened? 100%. Now, I'm not sure if this is anything that my father has mentioned, but, you know, going forward, we've got to realize here that kind of the um, relationship of being his son, I've probably had more chats with him about this than anybody in the world. And I remember things that we've discussed that he doesn't remember when he's speaking publicly. And I can tell you some of the interest has come from the near death experiences like John B. Alexander, Colonel John Alexander. Um, 
I want to say his doctorate is in thanatology. Are, are you familiar with Colonel John B. Alexander, like Project Stargate, remote viewing? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you know, he's, um, just for the listener who doesn't know, he's very involved with our family. Um, he has written a book recently called Reality Denied, and he wanted my dad to be the first chapter, and the editor said, no, 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 you need an intro, make it chapter two. But um, John was very interested in my father one reason particularly because he's had two out-of-body NDEs. When my dad was nine or ten years old, he was shot in the back on accident um, by his best friend in a hunting um, accident with a shotgun, and he was he he basically died. I mean, the the lead pellets were centimeters away from his heart. Um, there's a giant scar behind his heart on his back to this day. And if they had even operated on it and tried to remove the pellets, it would have destroyed his heart. Like he still has pellets in his body. It was, it was very a brutal accident. He missed um, the rest of whatever school year he was in. And I think that was the beginning um, of his whole NDE thing and my entire life and his entire life. Everyone asked Chris, what's it like to die? And he has said this even before the contact thing in 2007, he always says, the second I was shot by that shotgun, I left my body, and I was on a platform, and I went into space. Um, he remembers kind of like the Silver Surfer standing on a little thing and just going in, into space. It was, it was out of body. So then before 2007, when he also was you know, basically pronounced dead um, from his medical ailments or what have you, I don't think he's ever said this before, but his body – or his, his, I guess you could say spirit or consciousness left his body, and he read the name tag of the doctor in the room. Freaked my mom out so bad that uh, he knew the doctor's name that he didn't meet while he was awake. Um, I've heard that one pretty much my whole life too. So John B. Alexander uh, invited my father and I to a um, like a conference he was speaking at at the Rhine Center near um, Duke University. A lot of people will know what the Rhine Center is. It's like one of the big paranormal um, research centers in America, started by J.B. Ryan. Anyway, so Dr. John Alexander gave an entire present presentation on NDEs, and in his opinion, near-death experiences can be a catalyst for this sort of um, activity, and it just so happens my dad has had two full-blown NDEs. So my personal theory is that that um, opened a doorway to somewhere else or something else. Um, but, you know, it's not something my dad would say, but I'll say it, you know. I think that has something to do with it directly. And this interview, in a sense, is unique. I don't mean just me talking to you, but when you speak, it's so much of the story is around your dad and mm-hmm. your family, but you're involved as well. So for any listeners who may be newer to the story, that's why we're talking a lot about about Chris Bledsoe mm-hmm. Senior as well. Um, and obviously Ryan's come more and more into it, as we'll discuss. But how, how does your dad feel, Ryan, about you sharing, you know, his story and, you know, coming on podcasts like myself, Jimmy Church, whatever you do, whatever you've done, is he totally comfortable with everything you do? Is there anything he discusses that he says, don't talk about this, don't talk about that? Um, At first, because of our option agreement with Hollywood, he didn't necessarily want me going out and speaking. And that's why in the past I've had to turn down lots of interviews. And um, around December, 
some personal friends of mine asked me, like, would you like to do an interview on so-and-so show, this show, that show, whatever? And I said, Dad, what do you think? And he looked at me. He said, you're a grown man, son. If you want to go talk, you go talk. I'm not going to tell you no anymore. And I said, okay. And then I started talking, and he's getting hundreds and hundreds of messages from people all around the world saying, Chris, I heard your son speak. And what he's doing for you and your family is wonderful. So now dad's all for it. He thinks it's like, you know, thank God I'm not out here by myself anymore. So, you know, my dad stands by me. He's, he's very proud that I'm feeling compelled to, um, in some way, vindicate my family's name. You know, I'm a grown man now. I'm 27. I'm not 13. So I think it's my turn to take some of the load off of my father and help him out with some of the things that he may or may not articulate that I've been pondering since childhood. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And I, like I said at the start, people are appreciating that as well. And you are younger. You've got that knack for social media particularly, mm-hmm, and you can mm-hmm. go out and, and tell that story as well. And I, again, you're you're coming at it, even though you're obviously you're your father's son and you experience this in a way that almost no one else has except your father. You yeah. you can see it through other people's eyes as well, given your age and the story and other things and, and culture you'll have experienced as well. But for you, what was it like growing up around the phenomenon? And do you have like any of your earliest memories for like sightings or experiences you want to share? Yeah. Um, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that although I've consciously loved this experience and I would never trade it for anything unconsciously. It's very traumatic because it's like, you know, you've heard the story, the turmoil in the household. I mean, I was 13 years old. That's, that's very young. And I've now lived more than half of my life as this experiencer in the spotlight or whatever, than having not lived this life. So it's, it's more a part of me now than not. And it will be more a part of me going forward than it ever, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always consciously really enjoyed everything that happened, but it's definitely, it's taken me some time to reconcile that because of this experience is the way that I am as an adult. My earliest memories of these sightings, not the one that I talked about that was like 2002, but in 2000, maybe 2007, um, after the experience, my mom and my dad, they were really button heads. Um, I've spoken about this before, but we were very, very Christian, very Pentecostal holiness, strict, just rules and regulations to talk with God kind of thing. And the UFO thing is not welcome in that belief system. So it was a lot of turmoil and chaos in our house. Um, I lived through the horror of, you know, seeing that reconciliation as a very young child. And I guess where I'm going with this is in those days, my dad was so desperate to prove that it was really happening and it wasn't evil and it wasn't crazy that hundreds, if not thousands of times, he would grab us and say, they're out here right now. Let's go look. Let's go look. And um, we had hundreds or thousands of sightings in those days, Um, just seeing lights in the sky, you know, um, out the window. The first time I can remember is definitely in 2007 or very early 2008 when all six of us in my family were sitting on the couch peering through the blinds and there's lights in the sky bobbing and weaving and all kinds of stuff. And, and I knew it was real from the moment he told me. But when I started seeing it, I said, okay, this is very real, you know. So as early as I can remember, we've 
basically been having these um, sightings as a family and still do. And the language you used there um, that was, we were very strictly religious. Is that something that has then changed since the sightings happened and kept up or has it had to change? It's changed for me. Um, You know, as a child, when you're seeing things that you know are real and you're being told that they're not, it makes you question everything, you know? Um, if the government or somebody says the lights are not real, but I'm seeing them, I'm going to go with what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. So no, I don't think that I um, fit into a box of any sort of religious expression. I think that the true truth is true, whether we write about it, whether we talk about it, whether we believe it or not, I'm just trying to figure out what it really is behind the curtain, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. I, I think these lights are trying to show us that, God and consciousness and, you know, reality itself is um, not meant to be held in any form of box. So I would not say that I'm religious. I would say that I'm definitely um, deeply spiritual because of this. And um, I know that anybody tells me that, you know, spirituality and UFOs have nothing to do together. I don't even listen to them. I I, I just think that they are not on the right track. So, Let's go back to, so your, your dad has a couple of near-death experiences. We're mm-hmm. talking that we, I would agree that it's potentially opened up some sort of bridge or gateway or connection to the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Why has, or why do you think it's persisted though with not only your father, but your family for so long now that it's kept happening when for others, when we've heard about this, it seems to have almost been a, a one and done experience or at least that, that we hear of anyway. I don't know. You know, um, our friends in the CIA think it could have something to do with our DNA. Um, I've questioned this my entire life. Why us? Why my family? Um, and I think it just boils down to serendipity and it's like right place, right time. We were chosen in that moment. I don't know. Um, just kind of like freebasing my thoughts here. Maybe it has to do with everybody has their own role to play, and some people just have roles to play on a scale that's a little larger than others. And my dad um, could have come here to live this life and tell this story so that it could help people. And I will say this. um, In my father's first regression during the initial uh, MUFON investigation and the Discovery Channel documentary, one of the things that was said that he's never discussed was that Um, the beings told him that they brought his soul here to live this life for this reason. So I don't know. I think it's weird. I think that this whole stuff is weird. I think UFOs are weird. And, um, you know, I I don't know the answer. So we've talked about the experiences of which there have been thousands. Mm -hmm. It's almost the norm for you and your family now given what you've went through and for the length of time so let's just list some of the experiences you've had and we can umbrella this now that phenomenon just under that umbrella term but um obviously ufos so you're you're seeing lights in the sky what about physical physical craft yes i've seen those i have what sort of types any particular shapes or how, how close um 
when I was about 14 or 15, I saw some lights in the sky that looked kind of like an ice cream cone. I couldn't tell if it was, it was nighttime. So I couldn't tell if it was one thing with just lights on it. I couldn't tell if it was three separate lights, but when I say ice cream cone, it was like, like a cone, like, you know, a triangle, but really long. Yeah. We had, I've, I've seen the thing back in like 2002, 2001 ish, um, that was green. It looked kind of like a blimp. And I think there's two theories for that. I think that these beings, uh, don't play by the rules of our reality and they can appear that way if they wish. Or I think that the government has, um, some crafts that we don't know about, but I do not subscribe to the idea that aliens are coming here from other planets and their little um, nuts and bolts frisbees just to like accidentally fly over people and mess with them. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. And that's something I was going to get to earlier, but you've brought it up. So let's talk about it on now. Anyway, um, would you say then that we don't have ETs visiting the planet at all? Uh, do you think that is not something that happens or would you subscribe to that? It's just not happening to your family in this instance, or just, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Okay. So my initial thought on that is, um, I think that's the lie. I think that's the entire lie is that we are being told to believe or led to believe through decades of Hollywood programming that there are ETs from other planets. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think maybe it's possible. I'm not going to say it's not, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I believe this phenomenon is um, intensely interdimensional. And I've had some private chats, well, many private chats with the likes of Jim Simivan, um, Tyler D, as he's known in American Cosmic. And the conversations that we're having are, are not necessarily, you know, not complicated, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I really do think it's interdimensional. I think it's spiritual. I think what we have to do is take this box that language confines our concepts of reality and we have to throw it out the door. And we have to understand that spiritual, interdimensional, they're the same thing. It's a higher reality that we don't understand and that these beings are existing in a place that is near us. It's around us, but it doesn't play by our rules. You know? higher frequency, whatever. That's what I've been indicated by some of these people that um, even they believe is going on. And then, you know, when you say that on the internet from a place of experience and and knowledge, um, what do people do? They say, no, that's crazy because they're programmed by decades of Hollywood films to believe what they've learned from authority. It's aliens from other places. Well, I don't think that's it. And like you say, it, it could be, it, it might not be because be. We, we genuinely don't know or it could be all of the above it could be a little of this a little of that and that's obviously yeah. what, I, what i love talking about in this subject anyway you mentioned before ryan um and i was going to ask about visitors to the ranch um three letter agencies that have been potentially in the past and you, you said you know friends in the cia can you talk about some of the people that have visited the ranch outside of you know friends and family or MUFON? That we've mm-hmm. heard about. I, I spoke to Chase Klutzky, uh, and she talked about her experience and time on the ranch and your family. She speaks very highly of you as well. Um, who else, if you can't name them, has been to the ranch and what have those experiences potentially been from outsiders? I can pretty much name anybody who's been to our property. Um, I just can't like say everything they've said, you know. 
But um, there's a lot of these folks that we've met not on our property, but like on their property or at a mutual friend's property to get down to the nitty gritty. We have had um, we've had the Central Intelligence Agency. We have been in communications with members of the NSA, um, Kepler Aerospace, NASA, um, the OSS, believe it or not, which was the precursor to the CIA, um, Army Intelligence, Air Force Intelligence, Naval Intelligence, um, you know, you name it. They've all been in some way to our property. Um, Tyler D. is probably the only name. Well, there's actually a few people in NASA who were associated with Tyler D. whose names are also covert. Covert, But, um, you know, he was in the or is in the NRO, which is a joint operation between the Air Force, the CIA, and NASA. So um, what – what specifically did you want me to go into? Just like names of people or, or – So any particular experiences they may have had while they've been there as well? Now, you've named a whole range of organizations and agencies, but what are they necessarily wanting to do to visit the property? Is okay. it just to have that experience? Yeah, it's to have an experience and it's to see what they can learn from it. Like I know Tyler Durden, who again for the listener, if they don't know who this guy is, it's an alias for someone whose identity is is covert. Um, he's he's an official in the Department of Defense, and he came to our property and told my dad that he was tasked with learning about the phenomenon from a spiritual perspective. He thought it was all aliens and all that stuff, and his higher up, even higher than him, the Hammer, said you need to go learn about this from a spiritual perspective. So he looked us up, came to our property. Um, he tested us with some metals. He handed us these exotic mes- uh, metals. And when we touched them, this electricity went through our body. And he looked at my dad and he was like, dude, why you? Like, why were you chosen for this? My dad said, I don't know. What just happened to me? This electricity just went through my body. You know, it freaked um, Tyler Durden out. And he spent a few years um, chatting with us and telling us some things. He showed us like a PowerPoint slide that was kind of like some semi-classified information that we're not really supposed to talk about, stuff about Area 51. And basically his whole mission was to learn about the spiritual phenomenon or or the phenomenon from a spiritual angle. And it got to the point to where my dad wanted to help him so much. He said, you know what? I know a religious professor in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Let me introduce you to her. And that's how American Cosmic was born. Diana was actually writing a book about my dad and that never happened for whatever reason. And she switched gears and then it became about this Tyler D figure. And, um, you know, my dad kind of got that ball rolling. And when he was on our property, we took him to the burning tree and he saw a silver snake inside the burning tree just like was sitting there a a little harmless snake and he looked at my dad and he said you know my grandmother was a Cherokee Native American and she always told me from a young age that seeing a silver snake is a sign of good luck so meeting you was by no accident so what I'm trying to instill into people is that these high-level conversations are not just about spinning frisbees they're they're very complicated. They're very weird. It's about dimensions. It's about symbols, symbols, symbolism. Very important is how they communicate to us, which was told to me directly by Jim Simivan. I'm just trying to instill that into people so that, you know, they understand where I'm coming from. 
I want to ask on that material that was put in your your dad's hands. Okay. Straight away, I I go to the fact this is potentially some sort of meta material mm-hmm. that is either from some sort of retrieved crash or something like that. Is that what you would think as well? And it's almost activated because of the connection. That's exactly what it is. It's from the gifting field, as far as I understand it. It has a hexagonal um, shape, like kind of like a honeycomb. I've put the, the photo out there before. And it has properties that are not necessarily uh, inherent to Earth's, I guess you could say, biology, biology or chemistry or whatever. And, um, you know, Tyler told my dad – I don't even know what this means, but Tyler told my dad that they – determined it to be found from uh, or originate from 50 million light years away from earth i don't know what that means but um i do know he showed me charts that said the isotopes did not originate on earth he showed me the isotopes and um they are what some people would call exotic metals or as they call on these inside communities op meaning off planet when you talk to tyler durden everything is off planet op off planet I'm just trying to think. There's so many things I want to follow up on, right? Um, okay. So you've you talked about the, those agencies, and again, it was just the the language you use, and just to double check on it, that's nothing, you know, to potentially sinister. But you mentioned so many of these agencies have been to your property in some way. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any of those agencies try and get to your property that weren't necessarily invited by you? Yes, I have. I want to make it clear that it's not like the United States government is showing up on our property in an official capacity. And a lot of times it's people who are either active or retired and they show up uh, like Tyler Durden was active. He was covert. That's why just for the sake of respect, I wouldn't say his name. But then there's people like Jim Semivan who have a very deeply personal um, interest who are read into the program and they know these things, but they're not – you know, necessarily acting on behalf of the government, if that makes sense. So there is this guy who's sort of like, I don't want to say his name because UFO world would um, freak out. But there is a guy who has an official capacity on the behalf of the CIA to obfuscate the subject of UFOs. I don't want to say his title because it would be determined easily who he is. Um, it's been a number of years now. He has subtly and sometimes not so subtly sent people for plausible deniability to harass my family. Um, some death threats have been made. Um, he sent some people to cyberstalk me, uh, sometimes things of that nature. Uh, when my dad did an interview with uh, Project Unity, Some things were shared that we basically were threatened by this group if we didn't remove them. But it's not the guy in the CIA because that would be a federal crime. He can go to prison for terrorizing, um, you know, U.S. citizens. You're not supposed to do operations on U.S. soil if they're in the CIA. Ask Lou Elizondo, ask Jim Simivan. I actually asked him myself. But anyway, so what these people do is they'll get civilians for plausible deniability send them to an experiencer's property to harass them and terrify them so that they don't speak out. That's what dad and I and the family had been going through over the last few years, which is why we also didn't speak out as much. But now, you know, after some chats with Jim Simivan, I realized they can't do anything to us. They can't touch us. It's all an act. It's all this 
this scare tactic to get people to not want to speak out. And that's because this individual's career is to obfuscate this subject. It's good cop, bad cop, you know? Yeah. Trying to put it back in the box, which uh, people are trying to obviously keep open. Mm -hmm. Um, but largely, I mean, that's obviously an incredibly negative side to to what's happened and not caused by the phenomenon, but by humans, unfortunately, that are mm-hmm. obviously trying to to do what they're trying to do. But would you see a lot of the agencies, aside from that, who are invited or these people who come of their own accord, it's a positive experience and they are just trying to learn more about what's happening? Yeah, yeah, it's usually a very positive experience. A lot of times people come to our property to learn from a place of genuine like interest um, and desire to figure out what's going on. And in the intelligence communities, they all know that my dad's the guy. It's, just, it's what Jim Simivan told me. Otherwise, I wouldn't say that, you know. But um, they come to learn. They come to help. They come to be a part of like our family's experiences, but in private. A lot of times these retired intelligence people, they can't go publicly endorse because that would be an opinion on behalf of the United States government. Like Lou Elizondo on your show, I listened to that, what he said over and over. And basically what he did was he vouched for my family in a non-official capacity. They're not allowed to make opinions on behalf of the United States government unless they have the hard facts and the data. But he sat right here on your program and he said he's a wonderful man. He's having experiences like um, Skinwalker Ranch. And what Mr. Bledsoe is saying is probably correct. I don't know if anybody caught that, but that's what Lou said on your program. So, yeah, mostly it is positive. Um, They all want to meet him. We've met some other covert people in NASA who have literally lost their position and were fired just to go out on a limb and um, speak with my father uh, to protect him from other, like, threats and things like that um, just to help him because they see that he's a good person who really wants to tell his story to the world. Um, There's only a few negative groups that we've interacted with, and we just – we just don't mess with them anymore. I mean, we don't talk to them. It's like they need us. We don't need them, you know. So anybody that I speak of and name, um, chances are very positive interactions. We love them. I'm not going to disparage anybody. I'm not, I'm not going to name anybody that, that we don't, you know, have any sort of positive interaction with. It's a waste of my time. No, that, that's totally fair. The, the lady is something that comes up over and over again, and I've got a ton of questions about, so if we don't ask a question directly about it, then it's because, you know, there was so many similar ones put in there. But just explain to the listeners, Ryan, who is the lady? It's something your father's discussed quite a lot as well. And just what can you share about the experiences with the lady? Okay. Before I go into this, I just want to say that what we're going to do is we're going to take that box with you know, language and how it confounds our understanding, we're going to throw it out the door. What the lady is, is not what people think it is. Um, it's not a ghost. It's not an alien. And in some literal sense, it's not a goddess. You know, we don't, I don't see reality as these literal gods and goddesses just flying around and coming down and like trying to do these miracles. I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's more like, um, you know, consciousness and beings of light coming from higher realms and appearing to us in ways that we understand. And it's metaphorical and metaphysical. The lady, as my dad was made to understand, is associated with the bull 
in the um, in Egypt, in the pyramids, in the Sphinx. So if anybody was to get on their computer and Google who is the Egyptian, uh, you know, bull goddess, what's the name they would find? Hathor. Okay, that's the name that was put, you know, in my father's line of thinking. What is Hathor? Hathor is love. Hathor is the comforter. Hathor, you know, in a symbolic way, um, the ancient Egyptians described her as having a dress of the Milky Way galaxy and, you know, nourishing her children with the milk from the cosmic udder, therefore the bull symbolism. It's metaphor, you know. She told my dad in the regression that she is the manifestation of the force of love. People need to think in forces and archetypes. It's, it's more complicated than little spinning frisbees from Mars. There are forces at play that animate our reality. They animate our consciousness. These beings are emanations of those forces. They speak to us through symbols and metaphors. The Egyptians, why do you think their whole entire language was in symbols? Because it has a profound effect on the subconscious being. You know, that's part of your conscious being. It's just, you know, it, it's connected to it. But um, I don't think that she is literally Hathor. I think that that metaphor from ancient Egypt represents what force that she is, which is love. She created. So you think that. it's more of a, a manifestation of an idea or, or a concept rather than it's a physical thing. It's this goddess or this spirit coming and reincarnated almost. Not reincarnated, that's the wrong word, but, you know, appearing in that form to you, yeah. That's what I'm coming to understand and, you know, discuss with my father. I think that um, everything that we've been taught conventionally is not correct. If it was correct, we'd probably be in a utopia, you know. Like it's pretty common sense that we don't have access to these you know, higher realms of knowledge. Um, I think that she is the literal manifestation of the force of love and creation. It's, it's, it's more than just a being that shows up with blonde hair and a dress. That's what she appeared to my father as. It's, it's an energy from some place, not from and, another and, planet. Now, you said right at the start of this, you gave a little bit of context about we're going to put the use of language in a box and throw it out the window, which I like because so much of the conversation now, people are starting to bring in even just basic labels like angels and demons mm -hmm. and starting to say, you know, when it comes to the phenomenon, or if you want to talk about just aliens and people referring to them even within the, the Pentagon and the Senate, you know, talking about we don't want to deal with demonic forces that's just a label that's been put on this from a long time past that we need to shake off because in a way, maybe it is angels and demons as we sort of think we understand it, but that's just how people understood it some time ago when they were writing books a long, long time ago. And again, like you say, that's why potentially an idea or, you know, of something from Egyptian times can be brought to relevance now, but you can kind of look at it in a different way. And that's mm -hmm. why, again, this has been brought up to your, your family, your father, have you had experiences yourself with the lady or that manifestation? Not with that one. Um, I have had dreams that changed my life that were very profound, synchronicity kind of thing. Uh, you know, even though I saw these lights in the sky, I had this strict, like, 
guilt-ridden adherence to fundamental Christianity. And the term fundamental mm-hmm. Christianity means you believe the Bible is literal from Genesis to Revelation. I used to, I grew up believing that way because that's what I was taught. Um, you know, Earth is 6,000 years old, all that good stuff. Of course, I don't believe that anymore. And I was in this powerful cognitive dissonance from seeing lights in the sky from 13 years old, experiencing the shunning and the grief of being the family that talks about these lights, yet still going to church and talking about this literal belief in the Bible. So I was about 22 years old. I had a dream one night that Osiris was standing at the foot of my bed, and he was saying some things to me, but I couldn't hear them. And when I woke up the next day, I was never a fundamental Christian ever again. It just dropped overnight in my dream. So I think these... These forces appear to you in a metaphorical way or like with a depiction that's anthropomorphic because our brain comprehends things as anthropomorphic. So these Egyptians were smart. They put these symbols on the walls of their pyramids on the inside so they'd never be destroyed so that over time the message would last, you know. So – I don't think that literally Osiris came to me in a dream. I think what the Egyptians were saying is the force that is represented by this little anthropomorphic symbol is what I interacted with. You know, this isn't some paganism stuff. What I'm saying is there are forces from higher realities that appear to our brain in a way that we can understand it as anthropomorphic. It's an energy. It's a force. And you've talked a lot there about symbols, whether that is, you know, symbols that are appearing um, almost physically to, in front of people, whether it's symbols you're seeing in your dream. You talk about ancient Egyptian hieroglyph- hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear pilots discussing you know, even things like Tic Tac UFOs that potentially have symbols on the side of them. Going back to events like Rendlesham, again, hieroglyphs on the side of craft. Do you think this writing is all connected and that's why we keep seeing these symbols going way back to even our earliest times then? <sighs> Yeah, um, I think that symbols have an inherent meaning that we have forgotten over time. And these symbols are reflected by their geometry and what that geometry means on a metaphysical level. And it has profound impacts on our subconscious. And it's not taught in the exoteric mainstream world anymore, if that makes sense. yeah. So what I want to get to then is, would you put any weight in the, you know, the phenomenon of crop circles, given we've got these symbols being created? Or for you, is that something that is just totally separate or potentially man-made? That's a question that I honestly don't really like have an answer or even an opinion on. Um, I think crop circles are very fascinating, but I just have no you know experience with it. I have no way of knowing if it's genuine or not. I know my dad is friends. I believe his name is Colin Andrews. I think, I hope I'm not wrong here, but it's a guy who's like, um, one of the big crop circle guys out there and they've had some chats and he seems to think that they're, um, genuine, but I will say there are some crop circles that I've seen that have like intense mathematical ratios in them that would not be easy to just pop up overnight as a hoax. So, um, I think mathematics are very important as far as like the fundamental nature and construction of our reality. So I'm going to go with just a, a simple, it's cool. I don't know if they're legit would be great if they were, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, slightly, it was slightly skewed, but I just wanted to get that in there as you were talking about the symbols. Yeah. 
the phenomenon that is happening and has happened into your family, do you foresee a day that it stops? No, never. It won't stop. It hasn't yet. It never will. You see this being something that, and do you feel this is going to, I don't like asking too many personal questions, especially when it comes to family, but understand it's, it's your family that's experiencing this. If and when you and your siblings, you know, you all move to different locations, just let's say, for example, you moved to one part of Europe and then someone else moved to somewhere else and then your your, your mother and father moved to somewhere in India, let's just say, do you feel the phenomenon would follow each of you to these places individually? I do, because I think we have to remember that physical space is not even an obstacle for these beings. People think in concept of, wow, you live you know, here and then you went to California and it followed you so many thousands of miles. That's crazy. Well, I don't think that you know, in these higher realms that they come from, there's even physical space, period. I think quantum mechanics is pretty hot on uh, you know, the whole quantum entanglement and photon double slit, trying to argue the question that, physical space may not even be real and it's just an illusion of the human brain so yeah i think if i went to you know mars it would follow me so yeah absolutely are you aware of this happening to other families that may or may not have contacted you to discuss their experiences as well yes um the medal that my dad got to tom DeLong and lou elizondo and just ttsa in general was from someone else um, in Ohio and my dad was put on to meeting him through Tyler D. So what people don't realize is, you know, this guy from American cosmic and TTSA, wow, this guy's cool. This guy, well, in these inside circles, they're all in some way connected by one degree of separation through my father. You know, all these people have been entangled and, um, like how Pavenmeyer, this is kind of cool. All of these people that we've spoken with know how Pavenmeyer. Like Jim Simivan told us before how, how, um, how Pavenmeyer passed away, that he was a heavy hitter and that nobody realized his importance in all of ufology. I'm sorry, I derailed your question, but the point no, is no, that's fine. there are other families that we've been made aware of. I don't necessarily know all their names, but we know that we're not the only ones. Just for some reason, these beings interact with us in such a level and intensity that it just like makes our heads go crazy with like wanting to tell it, and we get out there and tell it. That's why they do this to us, to, to kind of inculcate us with this, this drive to go tell the story. Um, you know, at 27 years old, I'm sitting here just, I'm ready to get it out, you know? Absolutely. Um, I want to move on a little bit now because there's so much within the conversation you've shared there that some listeners will be aware of. Some of them, it'll be some food for thought. And other people, maybe newer to the subject, can go and look at a range of, like you say, Discovery Channel documentaries, books. There's YouTube interviews. You know, you mentioned Jay from Project Unity spoke to Chris uh, Senior. Um, and like I say, you've done a few as well. So there is a lot, if you have heard it there, you can go and find the details in so many different places as well. So I would encourage people to do that. I want to address something that a few people spoke to me about, Ryan. Now, within the, the subject, um, there are, like you say, with crop circles, you kind of said you don't have much of an opinion on it yourself, okay? Something that I find, I don't know if controversial is the right word, and I spoke to you about this before we came on, was orbs. Now, orbs play a huge part in a lot of the photography that's put up by yourself, but they're a very popular source of material on you know ufo twitter and and reddit and things like that as well there's so many orb videos and pictures being posted 
Can you talk a little bit about why these should be seen as a key piece of evidence as such? Some of your experiences with orbs and why someone like myself, what am I missing when I see a picture of, you know, a very faint light in a photograph? What what should I be looking at and not just looking and thinking it potentially is glare or, you know, that sort of thing? I think the majority of photos on the internet probably could be glare. But um, I will say that, you know, my brother saw those beings in 2007. They started as red orbs, and then they came from the orbs as they got closer. I think that we have lost, as a society, we've lost our understanding of what consciousness truly means, what the idea, and again, we're going to throw out that language box. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm not talking about this religion or that religion. I'm saying the title of a true consciousness or God. We've forgotten what that means. I think what's going on here is there is one consciousness, there's one source of it, that's God. These beings are closer to that than we are. They're not bound by this physical reality. They can come in here if they wish, but not against their will. And I think that that includes trapping their form in a photograph or a video. I think what we get on photo is what they give us. It should not be just so dismissed by that very left brain, logical, debunking mindset. But I think people need to realize that what these beings are is a higher consciousness or, you know, if you want to try to relate that to another word, a higher spiritual realm, they cannot be trapped against their will. There's nobody out there just like accidentally getting a picture of these things. What we get is what they give us. So these orbs are what they're giving us. Um, we see them appear as orbs it, with, with our eyes. And then we go post on the internet, and what do they say? It's a fake. It's a fraud, this, that, the other, blah, blah, blah. Well, we go outside in our backyard. We see orbs. We rush to get our phone out and snap a picture, and then we share it, and we get mocked. But in reality, you know, who gets the last laugh here? The ones who are never going to interface with this phenomenon because they're so left-brained. They're not activating their right brain, like Grant Cameron says, and truly interfacing with this phenomenon. Or us, who are in the comfort of our own home, actually seeing it and trying to share it with people so that they can see it too. So I think anybody that dismisses orb phenomenon without even trying to entertain the idea of it, um, they're on the wrong track. They are totally on the wrong track, and I mean this respectfully. I'm trying to help people with my knowledge and experience. Um, orbs are a very important phenomenon. They are real manifestations of consciousness, as I have been told by Hal Pavenmeyer, Jim Simivan, and that's the only two that come to my mind at the moment. But they know, Oh, and we've also had chats with Lou Elizondo, my dad has, about orbs. These guys don't go out and speak publicly about orbs. Why? Because they're read into the program and they cannot give official opinions on behalf of the United States government. But what does my dad talk about? He talks about beings of light, the lady, and orbs. And we post pictures hanging out with Lou Elizondo, Tom DeLong, Jim Simivan, blah, blah, blah. It's because of what we're saying is why these people are coming. It's these things. So orbs are very important. I'm, I'm just setting that out into the world now. If anybody wants to mock, that's fine. They have that right. But they're wrong. You know, so I mean that respectfully, but orbs are very important. And I urge people to at least entertain the idea that it's, you know, some form of manifestation, stimulate that other part of your being. Don't give in to that left brain, logical, you know, 
orderly way of thinking and try to come from a place of consciousness, higher realms, and then you'll understand what this phenomenon is. Sorry if that was long-winded. No, absolutely. Listen, I I like that. And let me take that one step further and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, okay? Okay. Uh, Like you say, when you you mentioned previously, people trying to at least put themselves uh, and entertain the idea. I I don't think you have to even guess, but I mean, obviously I host a UFO podcast. Mm -hmm. I will entertain a lot of ideas and orbs are one of those things. It's just when you see, and it's something Sean Cahill talked about, that, that one source, so often people will post that one photograph and go, here's an orb I took a picture of, no context, no nothing, and it's just it's just there. Obviously what you and your family have is a, a volume of, of evidence and photographs and experiences. Let me take that a step further then, and this is something I want to address on behalf of people who have brought it up. What I'll, what I'll say is, before I ask it is, I appreciate you are a family, you have lives, you have jobs, and, you know, your lives are not a TV show for everyone to watch. Right. However, people would ask, why would you and the family not set up, say, 4K recording equipment around the home, almost Skinwalker Ranch-esque, maybe not to that level, but, you know, so, some good camera equipment that could constantly be filming this sort of stuff? Is there any reasons, or is it something that has came up in the past? It's definitely come up in the past, and we're still in chats with people. I was chatting with a filmmaker. Now, when I say filmmaker, I don't mean he's going making like blockbusters. He has before, but this guy is making a documentary. He wants to come out and bring equipment. We are very uh, open to work with individuals that we trust and who are reputable and have our best interests in mind. Now, when I say our best interest, what I mean is we were um, – We were mocked because of the hack job documentary that was made to discredit us. We're not just going to bring any Joe onto our property with cameras and say, shoot, we're going to vet people. We're going to wait and have the patience and understanding that the right person will come when these beings are ready for it. Because all of this stuff that's happened with my family behind the scenes that you write, it's not a TV show. Um, There's been people we've met that most wouldn't even believe. Like next weekend, someone's coming to our home from a foreign country who's like, it's crazy who's coming to our property. We're, we're not just going to throw cameras out there and hit shoot. We're going to do it right when we do it. Everything we've given already is genuine. You know, my dad has 15,000 orb photos on his iPhone. He has 15,000 on a hard drive. Now he's going out there because people complain about the iPhone. He's a simple man. He's a carpenter. He's a 59-year-old carpenter. He's not a scientist. He doesn't have all this technological prowess. I don't live with him. I can't sit and fumble around every time I go home for, you know, a birthday party and try to break out this fancy equipment. You know, we're simple people. And anyway, so back to that point, um, you know, we're going to do it when it's right. We're, we're not just going to sit around and just hit shoot. You know, I think I kind of interrupted there, myself there and, and broke where I was going with that. <laughs> no, oh, no, I remember. I remember. I'm ask, do you I, feel I'm sorry. It? Oh, go on, on you go. I was just going to say, people complain about the iPhone photo. No, no, if you go for it. And then we get them on the night vision camera and people still complain. You know, if we got them with a documentary film, film crew, people would still complain because they can't entertain that there's something from like some sort of higher realm. It's all left brain thinking and that needs to be quieted and try to connect with what this phenomenon is. That, sorry, that's what I was going to say. Go ahead. 
No, that's fine. And listen, I totally get that. I, I've talked before about last year. I don't know if you remember, Ryan, the, there was um, a, an incident for a few minutes where people thought there was a UFO above New Jersey, and it turned out to be uh, the Goodyear blimp above the New York Giants football game around kind of dusk time in the evening mm-hmm. people stopped on the freeway and were all standing there with their iphones and samsungs and huawei's and really good cameras yet still couldn't get a really good shot that didn't make it look like a ufo spinning mm-hmm. and it was only later people reported no it was a good year blimp above a football stadium so yep. there was a ton of people trying to take a picture in the distance of what actually was other way around it was a blimp not a ufo and they still struggled to get a clear picture i struggle with an 8k camera five feet from a children to get a clear picture of them on a swing so i can only imagine what it's like trying to get pictures of you know like orbs in yeah. entities or shadow beings or whatever people are trying to photograph or, or or do would you or sorry do you feel you have to be vindicated or have to prove any more that this is real or happening by you know getting that sort of evidence or scientific proof out there or are you content and happy that obviously you know it's happening, you're experiencing it, and it's it's almost other people's issues that they have to deal with? I think we've already been vindicated in private, and that's truly what we care about is knowing that there are serious people in this world who take us seriously. What the people on the internet say, you know, to the second part of your question, I do think that in our common level of understanding of reality like as a mainstream society is totally flawed it is totally backwards and i think that the collective conscious needs to hit a certain level before everybody can really understand what we're dealing with here like i I will plainly say this these are beings from a higher reality trying to guide mankind to a new age now what's going to happen 50 50 people won't understand what i just said which i just spoke plainly what i believe you know, so if people can't get that, then they're never going to get what it is and they won't interface with it. Um, back to the first part of your question, um, we're not trying to like record anything for vindication. We're trying to do this out of good faith because we believe it'll help people sharing our experiences with the world. I'm up here talking because I want to help people with what I have experienced because there's millions of others that are seeing same things, but they're not getting necessarily the intensity that we're getting and they don't know what it is and they feel lost. We have thousands of messages in our inbox between me and dad of people saying, I saw a light in my room, scare me to death. Should I be scared? You know, people don't, people don't know what they're dealing with. And maybe me and dad can be a light in this dark field and help people understand what they're experiencing and help people heal. It's all about good faith. That's what me and dad are coming from. Before we move on to listener questions then, and you, you touched on it there, are there any aspects of this phenomenon that people should be scared of or you, you have been scared of? I think you attract what you deal with. If you're a positive person and you're seeing a light, probably shouldn't be afraid. If you're, you know struggling with drug addiction or you're a violent person or just in a very dark place and you're seeing like shadows in your room and things like that, you should probably immediately be concerned. You attract what you experience. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a consciousness spiritual thing, you know? So I hope that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And I'll follow that up with that people have talked in the past and I can't remember. It was a reasonably 
prominent person. I I, I want to say Tom DeLong potentially, uh, potentially, but uh, talked about these beings feeding on negative emotions. And this was brought up again recently. I think Jeremy McGowan mentioned it on Twitter as well. Is that something you would then subscribe to along with what you're saying there? That there is an, an element of these beings potentially latching themselves onto that? There are some like that, yeah. I think it's all about, you know, big picture. It's about good versus evil. Now, when I say that, what I mean is it's about love versus fear. That's another thing. In the pre-show, we were talking about some questions. I'm going to go ahead and jump to that one um, because it answers this one you just asked. People always want to know, like, what did the lady tell my dad? This is probably the most important thing. I'm not sure if he said this. Um, She said there's only love and there's only fear. Only love and fear. Or good versus evil is another word to say that, like in a very basic, you know, metaphorical way. What it was explained to my dad is that in order to avoid any sort of negative timeline, we have to get the collective consciousness switched over to a state of love. I don't mean like, you know, kissing your wife goodnight or, or you know, anything like that. What I mean is love in a state of being, like compassion, humility, uh, you know, no ego, um, being uh, empathetic because – What was made for us to understand is that love is in some weird metaphysical way, all the sages of the old times were talking about it, we probably should be paying attention. Love is what brings us together. Fear is what pulls us apart. There's only love and there's fear, and that's what it's all about. If you're a loving person, again, I don't mean like romantic love. I mean just like love, like all you know ways of being, empathy, compassion, humility. If you're a loving being, you're going to have positive experiences. If you're a fearful being who has, you know, hatred and anger and violence and all these dark thoughts and problems in your life, you're going to have dark experiences because you're separating yourself from other people. So it's all love versus fear. Love is what will save the world, according to the lady. So, And according to the Beatles, love is all you need. I think that takes us nicely into the listener questions as well, Ryan. Um, So a lot of really good stuff there. I appreciate that. And like I say, folks, we had so many questions sent over. I've tried to get through as much as I can. And like I always say, it's not necessarily the best one. So if your question is not there, I apologise. It's just time constraints as well. And Ryan's been great with his time today. Um, So the first question was from Walker. Uh, He wanted to know respectfully, just wondering, Ryan, are there any comparisons that have been done between your dad's DNA before and after any of these experiences from hairbrush samples, anything like that, to see if the DNA has ever changed or been altered? If it was done, it was covert. Uh, My dad has never, like, volunteered his DNA. But it was instructed to us by Jim Simivan to explore our DNA uh, because he thinks that that could be a big part of the reason why we're having such an intense volume uh, of experiences. But nope, my dad has never like plucked his hair and sent it to anybody. Someone probably swabbed some DNA. We've we've literally been hanging out with spies for the last you know however many years, um, and whatever results they have, they didn't tell us. But they keep coming back, you know. Fair. 
Um, has Ryan or Chris, uh, so have you or your dad ever met Bob Bigelow or been interviewed by his company? Um, he thinks that Mr. Bigelow would be very interested in meeting your family. We've never been directly contacted by Bigelow, but Colonel John B. Alexander invited my dad on behalf of Bigelow to speak at one of his conferences in Las Vegas, uh, you know, Nevada. But for some reason that didn't happen. I can't remember if it was COVID or whatever, but so we never spoke, but he knows who we are. And Grant Cameron told me that he was speaking with another mutual friend of our father's who, who likes to remain anonymous. I'm not going to say his name, um, where he was basically informed. So let me, let me back up a little bit. So the team that investigated my family on behalf of MUFON is what is called the MUFON star team. Okay. We're one of the first cases ever for the MUFON star team. Bob Bigelow's OSAP program collected data through the MUFON star team. So Grant Cameron basically made me understand that the star team was acting on behalf of Bigelow's OSAP, which was, you know, intensely focused on like consciousness and life after death and things of that nature. So his theory is that we were Bigelow's first case with OSAP. Okay, thanks for that. Um, and also, Walker had one more question. Well, he had a lot more, but uh, you'll have to tune into the Patreon <laughs> for some more of those. Yeah. Um, Chris said he had a video of an entity walking, but he wasn't allowed to show it. Have you seen the video? And why can't Chris show it? Uh, and he wants to know, was it anything to do with contractual reasons or requested not to by government types? I actually have the, inter- uh, the video. And um, I've showed it to lots of people, like in person, you know, and um, he's he's allowed to share whatever he wants unless it was something that, uh, you know, was told to us in confidence by somebody in the Department of Defense. Jim Simivan told us plainly, like, you know, this story belongs to us. Uh, anybody who says that they're working for the CIA and they're going to kill us or whatever, they're liars. They're just trying to intimidate us. And that has happened, as I spoke about earlier. Like people affiliated with people in the CIA threaten to kill us. They're liars. They're just trying to scare us. Um, anyway, so the reason my dad will not share the video is not necessarily contractually obligated, but the investigator who took the video um, never agreed to share it publicly. Uh, we feel that it's not appropriate necessarily to share everything um, that was taken by other people with their credentials on the line. And also, he's just not ready to share it. You know, it'll be out there someday. I'll probably bug him enough, but it's not what people think it is. It's pitch black in our backyard with an infrared night vision sensor that is detecting real bodies of light moving through the property. There's there's a lot of context and setup um, that goes with this video that needs careful explanation. And he's not just going to throw it out there just because people want it out there. Again, we are private people. Um, some people have come to our house and gathered data. It's not necessarily uh, ours to just throw out there without the uh, person ready to like vouch for it and help us explain it. Um, we've recently been in contact with the person who did take that video on our property, and uh, she seems pretty willing to go out there and talk about it with us, but that's, that's just not our priority right now. Hopefully that does see the light of day. It's, uh, I've got a two-part question then, that, uh, maybe two parts depending on your yes or no first part. Um, is that the best piece of evidence you have that hasn't been released? Yeah, probably. I, I would say so. I think there's been a lot of hype 
around it on the internet and people get hyped and hyped and hyped. And then they see these videos and these photos that these beings give us. And then they say, it's fake, but it's not fake. We've shown it to people in the CIA and it just like drops their jaws to the floor. It's stuff that they weren't necessarily even getting at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, I know for a fact by speaking with uh, Colonel John B. Alexander, uh, Jim Simivan, and then of course da- everybody knows that dad has you know hung out with Lou. He literally said it on your show. Um, what we know about what went on behind the scenes at Skinwalker Ranch is that the phenomenon intensely messed with them just to prove a point that it won't be captured against their will. So the, the sheer volume and in many cases intensity of the photos and videos that my dad has captured is literally boggling the mind of these people. Um, you know, ask John B. Alexander. He came to vet my dad and sort of like debunk him a little bit, walks out to the Cape Fear River, sees a light in the sky, wrote a book with my dad, you know, trying to make him his first chapter. Blew his mind. So, yeah, I think the video with the right context is mind-blowing, but it's not like you're going to, you know, zoom in and get high-definition sweat dripping down the face of some physical being. It's not like that, you know. So there's a lot of context necessary for this video before we put it out there. Of course, I appreciate you taking the time for, for that as well. And like you say, putting there's not much you can put online now, whether it's a photograph or a video that the masses are happy with, especially like, sure. if you look at UFO Twitter or this community, people just pick everything apart anyway. Um, I think you could put a legit alien body picture out there and people would, nah, not real. Yeah, yep. nah, that's fake. You can tell. And yeah, that's the way it is these days. Um, so I can understand taking your time. Mac had a question, and I, I spoke to you about this one before the pod. Um, he wanted to know a little bit more about the lady and her relation to ancient goddesses, which you did touch on, but uh, the white buffalo calf woman. And is there any backstory to explore there? Yeah, I mean, I think I really did hit that pretty hard earlier, but I'll just kind of recap it. Um, uh, sorry, if I've missed it's okay, it's okay. the buffalo calf woman part, yeah. Yeah, the second part of that question, I can, I can go more into that. But I'm just going to say, as for the first part of the question to the listener, um, I appreciate the question. I kind of really, in the detail, went into the whole, what I think about, like, the goddess thing earlier. I think she's a literal uh, manifestation that we can comprehend as the literal force of love, the force. Um, I think there are forces. I think there are archetypes at play behind this limited little symbolic world that we live in. Um, and as for the Buffalo calf woman, that would be, I think the Lakota tribe, um, many, many, many years ago, uh, this, this Lakota saw the Buffalo calf woman who, you know, gave him some visions and prophecies of the future. My dad and I were never made aware of her until Tom DeLong came out with that pretty obvious why he's making the documentary in the first place. Now everybody and their mother talks about a lady. Um, you know, well, I don't want to disparage anybody, but my dad spoke about the lady in 2012 and now it seems to be everyone's talking about her. It's obvious, you know? So, um, to the stars Academy very much. It does. I know for a fact because I, um, have private conversations with Jim Simivan and I know that they read my tweets, communicate with dad, see stuff on his Facebook. They stay savvy on what we're saying and it comes out in their literature. You know, when Tom DeLong, and I mean this with utmost respect, if Tom is listening, I very much like Tom. My dad has hung out with him several times. He's a very serious and truthfully intellectual individual. He's got this persona as being this like silly rock star. He's very smart, um, you know, and 
every time my dad ever hung out with him in the beginning, it was all like, you know, reptilians, aliens. This is what these generals in the army are telling me, whatever. My dad said, no, it's not Tom. It's spiritual. It's this, it's that, the other. Next thing you know, Secret Machines comes out with a book. It's all about gods and goddesses. It's all about shooting love bombs to like fight these psychic presences. So what my dad is saying is changing the UFO world. It's like a ripple, you know, to the Stars Academy with the Lakota calf woman, uh, the Buffalo calf woman. That's that's another version of that, you know. So did that answer the question? It did, yeah. And I think like we know there's a, a documentary series potentially in the works to do with the Lakota as well. Yeah. Um, that that may, may not be coming out. Yeah. So hopefully that still goes ahead with all the changes and stuff that, that's happened too. And again, like on the off chance Tom is listening, especially with, with you being on, Ryan, I'd like Tom to speak to not even just myself, someone, a George Knapp, anyone just regarding TTSA and what's happened because he's been a little bit quiet for someone who was very noisy for a while as well. Um, don't know what you think about that. Like, t- you know, I, this is not a listener question, but for me, he was very involved and, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Tom's music. Uh, particularly the Blink stuff. Um, huge admirer of what he'd done bringing TTSA together because regardless of what's happened at the end, he did bring all that together as a group and it's really impressive. And he all, he enjoyed the, the the fruits of the labour and mm-hmm. a lot of people getting on board with it. You know, I, I'm wearing my TTSA hoodie just now. Nice. But the way things have gone with the company isn't necessarily what it started out advertising and i think that's disappointed a lot of people a lot of people lost a lot of money and um, a lot of faith in what was happening and i think tom just went very quiet and i think he owes at least an interview to to someone just on what happened and you know we're not looking for the the dirt on it but just come out and talk i think i think that would be the least he could do well i will say this um you know when i recently the last time i spoke to jim on the phone I, I kind of, I don't like to bother my friends about like personal business all the time, you know? And I did ask him a couple questions like, how's TTSA? How's Tom? I'd love to meet him. And he did tell me that they are working on some projects. They haven't gone anywhere. Here's what I would say to people. If Lou and uh, Chris Mellon and Steve Justice left the company and then the remaining members had to like address some sort of apology... To me, that signals they're done. Them not even having to address it, probably a good sign. They're not done. They're not going anywhere. I know that they, you know, from talking to Jim, that they're working on, um, I don't know if I should say, they're, they're still, they're not going anywhere in the immediate future. They're still turning gears. I mean, they're not done, you know. Um, Tom coming out and speaking on his personal Twitter, I'm not sure that that necessarily should reflect on the company as a whole. Um, I mean, he shared my dad's, you know, entity photo a week or two ago, you know, said real picture. He's still in the game. He's still in the UFO game. So I just think people should be patient and see what they're going to come out with. Um, I think that there are some very capable people at the head of it. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly like what's going to happen, but I don't know. I don't think they're done. The the way I look at it, Ryan, and it's it's quite unique because I'm talking about a company. But are you a sports fan in any way? Unfortunately, no. I like, never got into you, sports. No, that 
that's fine. So I can use very generic terms here. So imagine you're a sports fan of a, a basketball or a football team or a baseball team and you love that team and you follow them for, for a long time. And all of a sudden, your team out of nowhere gets rid of its three best players or your three best players leave. You would expect the team to make some kind of statement. The team's not going anywhere. The team's still going to be there. It's still going to be performing, but you would like some kind of transparency. And I think that's the way I sort of feel about it, that you, you support them. And it's odd to say you support a company, but but we did and many of us did. And it's just like, it's just been so quiet that there's been such a seismic shift. It's let's hear a little something. And especially when Tom was, he was sitting doing um, interviews, 10-minute interviews on Instagram with YouTubers and influencers and things like that. So... It would just be good to hear from him in that capacity. But I, I get, and, and like you say, they're, they're making the movie, the, the Monsters in California stuff. and Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- there's more to come. So we'll hopefully hear something sooner than later. Sure. Um, more questions. We had Bubs. Bubs is wondering if the family has any plans to capture the phenomenon and compile up best of footage of sorts to bring more awareness to the masses around the world. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough it's a good question, but it's a tough answer. When you start to like plan to do anything with this phenomenon, I feel like you've lost it. You know, just ask the guys who studied at Skinwalker Ranch. It's very elusive. It's very smart. Um, me and dad or dad and I have this idea that's been very successful and we still have contact and experiences all these years that this phenomenon should be highly respected you should be patient with it and understand that it's going to do what it wants to do when it's ready. It's not like we can just walk out there and just get it against its will, you know? So we're not like necessarily scheming this. What we are operating under is the true belief that it's going to line up. The right people are going to come with the right equipment. The intention will be right and we'll get it. Do you think then, and you can make this a yes or a no for all intents and purposes, if I came along as someone with a massive interest in this subject, which I have, and I had a ton of money, which I don't, and I set up 28K cameras uh, around your dad's property for a month and filmed 24-7 and live streamed it, would those cameras pick up anything? Or do you think the phenomenon would deliberately avoid that? Well, it would depend. It would depend on what the intention is of the observer. If the observer was secretly going to capture the data and then whisk it away and never share it, probably wouldn't do anything. Um, If the intention was pure and the person was coming up from the goodness of their heart to really interface with this phenomenon and help the world with it, yeah, I think you'd get it and it would be crazy. So that's how me and my dad see this and operate with this phenomenon is the intention has to be pure. We don't like worship them. This isn't some stupid cult like people say on the internet, but we respect that there are beings from some other place that are interacting with us on the regular when they're ready to, you know? So it depends on the intention and we are going to allow people who we truly trust to uh, try to do this when, when we meet them, which, you know, we have met some really good people. It just hasn't always lined up, um, you know, but it's the intention. Uh, Dave Smethers too, uh, submits a lot of really good questions for the pod. Um, have you and your dad ever thought if the phenomena is potentially misleading you or not what they seem? Never. Never? No. 
And uh, another follow-up question to that as well is, why do you think you and your dad, um, or why do you think those people from NASA are so interested in the phenomenon? Obviously, NASA, the idea is they are trying to explore space. And the, what we're looking at here, potentially, is that these beings are dimensional. I think I, I loved your language earlier, actually, by good T-shirt, intensely interdimensional. Um, that's mm-hmm. a range for you, potentially. But yeah, so why do you think like, NASA would have that interest in like, those dimensional beings? Because they know that's what they are. They know the nature of this phenomenon. Why would they come to my family's house if they were in communication with them? Think about it. The people at Skinwalker Ranch, we know that it was run by Bigelow, uh, funded with big pockets. And I know for a fact, I just said it, that people like John B. Alexander, who's Army Intelligence, um, People on behalf of the government were trying to pin down this phenomenon and figure out what it is, and it didn't play ball. Why is it that we read on the internet that so-and-so president got abducted and they flew out on a spaceship and everyone believes that, and we, you know, they can't understand the consciousness aspect of the phenomenon? All they want to hear is this nuts and bolts, I spoke with an alien, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're dealing with. This government knows that this is an elusive phenomenon. It's why they're scared of it, in my opinion. I don't represent the U.S. government, but I've met a lot of them. Um, they're, they're, they're anticipating what it wants because they know that it is greater than them or anybody on earth. They know that they're powerless to it. So what do they do? They, um, they try to find like connections to it. One of those connections is my dad. One of those connections is Skinwalker Ranch. I don't think that the government is just like – full reigns, like chatting with these beings, like men in black, and they have, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, I think this whole threat paradigm is because they really feel like uh, powerless to this thing. You can't just shoot a missile at consciousness, man. You, you just can't do that. It makes me laugh. Everybody's on this whole threat narrative, and they don't even realize that we are the threat to this realm, the humans. The humans are the ones destroying this earth. Some alien ain't going to come down and blow us up. That's just not going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to be told that they will, and we'll be scared, and then we'll go on that fear timeline. You know, That's what was told to my dad by the lady. Don't believe the lie. How do you, uh, So next up, Charles asks, how do you account for experiencers who have had contact events that don't seem to fit into the paradigm of your dad's contact? I mean, I haven't really met them. I, I hate to say this, and I say this with respect, but I don't, I don't believe everything I read out there on the internet, just like people don't believe me just because I'm saying it. You know, If I meet these people and they look me in the eyes and I get the true feeling that they're telling me the truth, then we'll figure it out. But what I'm saying is all of my conversations with these people in these Department of Defense, intelligence agencies, whatever, my intense experiences since I was a child – what I'm reading on the internet and hearing and watching in films is not vibing with what is real, what is really happening, what I'm being told, what I'm seeing, what, what, what I see in my bedroom at night. You know, Maybe there are people out there having these experiences, but I haven't really met them, and I, I don't know, man. I mean I think a lot of that out there is disinformation. I don't think people realize how powerful and how prevalent disinformation is in this society. I think we live in a – a realm where we're all closer than we think we are. 
Uh, we're very socially connected and we believe pretty much anything we hear from authority. So people need to realize that just because they hear it on the internet, just because they hear it on TV or in a Hollywood movie or this or that, you know, some dude in a white lab coat, I don't necessarily think that means it's real or it's true, you know? Awesome. John asks, um, he was hoping you, you could talk a little bit about the smoke or vapors that appear in your family photos. He thinks they look a lot like ectoplasm vapors. Is there a link? Yeah. So again, Jim Simivan told us that that is what they call like entity smoke. And it's a sign that something is manifesting. We don't see this with our eyes. It shows up in photos. So we're just like snapping photos. We have guests over taking pictures of Jim and his wife with like, you know, us and the, the, the friends we have over outside just having a good time. And we look at the photos and they're riddled with the, this phenomenon. So we send it to Jim Simivan and he's like, oh my God, I'm freaked out. It's really funny because as knowledgeable as he is about this stuff, it terrifies him to like think of being next to it because he's an experiencer. He's experienced it. So every time we have these weird photos or like photos with him and orbs, it, it's so funny how it freaks him out. Um, it's, it's like a joke we have, but he says that it means something has manifested in your presence. John also follows up asking to talk a little bit about the health effects of the phenomenon. Uh, your dad has mentioned previously in interviews, the beings don't realize they are radioactive and can do harm. Yeah, well, uh, my dad has rheumatoid arthritis, which came on round about somewhere between 2012 and 2016. I can't remember. But um, what we were made to understand by Diana Walsh-Pasolka is that in the Vatican archives, they have this uh, literature about St. Francis of Assisi and his effects of the stigmata interacting with beings of light and his limbs were not having like holes in the hands like you see in Hollywood, but his limbs were crippled, you know? So their idea, and Jim Simivan has had some talks with us about this, some like secret studies that have gone on with experiencers. Um, they do have effects on the body. And I will say this, which is crazy, but it's true. The lady who took that video that we discussed earlier, um, we didn't hear mm -hmm. from her for two or three years. She got in touch with my dad and said, Chris, after I met you and we, you know, did all that investigation, I came down with rheumatoid arthritis. So um, that would be like what the Vatican calls the stigmata. It's real. And uh, speaking of the Vatican, that's segued nicely into a question that uh, you asked me to move earlier because it'll lead into the following question afterwards as well. This one was, again, from Walker. Um, does the Vatican ever check in with Chris to see how he is going or for any news on what the entities are up to? Or for that matter, has the Vatican been out to the family home to investigate? The Vatican has not been to our home. The Vatican has corresponded uh, to my dad through Diana Walsh Pasolka. Um, she, everybody saw where she took Tyler D from American cosmic and they flew out to the Vatican and, you know, did some like little ceremonies and things. And she was basically corresponding with my father, like almost in real time about the Jesuit priests there who were communicating to her about my dad's experiences and like what they mean. Uh, the Vatican is very aware of this. They have many, um, documents in their archives about it. And like Diana privately shared some of those documents with me, printed it out and let me read it. And it's about like a young girl um, back in the day, like centuries ago, having beings of light come into her room. 
So they know what this is. They're aware of my father. Um, and Jesuit priests had given Diana a blessed holy relic to uh, bring to my dad to help him with his arthritis. They had a ceremony in the papal hall, again, with Jesuit priests in honor of like healing my father of his rheumatoid arthritis. And then Diana Walsh-Basolka took a photo of my father and put it in between the manuscripts of Galileo and Copernicus in the secret archives. So these people haven't been to our house, but they correspond with us in the past. We don't really uh, keep up with those groups anymore. Sure. And the next question from Timothy, uh, and again, it was it was good of you when I was going through these beforehand to say move this up because they're related. Mm-hmm. Um, Timothy says, I've heard Ryan say before somehow Marian apparitions are tied into the whole UFO visitor alien phenomenon, but you hadn't expanded on it. And he'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Okay. So Jim told me that what my dad is experiencing is just like the apparitions of the past, uh, like the, the Marian apparitions like Fatima. Um, obviously TTSA is making the documentary about the white Buffalo calf woman. So, you know, you could conclude that that's, um, part of the same phenomenon. Diana Walsh Pasolka was so interested in my father in the first place because when he started talking about the lady, she immediately thought of the miracle of the sun, which is Fatima, you know, the, the Fatima apparition. And what she communicated to us was that the mainstream version of that is wrong. And what was in the Vatican archives or whatever literature she had showed us and made us read, I don't, I don't remember. It's been almost a decade. Um, they knew that it was really silver discs in the sky next to the apparition of the lady. Like they knew it was a UFO phenomenon even back then, and they hid it and altered the uh, the mainstream version. Now, if that sounds too far fetched, Tyler D, the character in American Cosmic, personally told me in my kitchen that he had to firsthand manipulate mainstream stories so that the masses would be deceived. Not always for evil reasons, but just, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything evil, but sometimes they have to like the, the, um, the, uh, the challenger explosion. He told me that was one of the first things he worked. It was, you know, back in the eighties or whatever. And the version that really happened was not the same as the mainstream version. So there is definitely a real phenomenon of what the masses are consuming is not always real. That's where I'm coming from when I say, don't believe everything you read on the internet. 95% of UFO stuff is disinformation. Sorry, I segued that into a previous question, but it, it seemed to fit in. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's fine, man. Thank you. Um, we will have a few more listener questions over at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. Again, listeners are sending in multiple questions, so some of them will make it make their way over there as well. Just before we finish up, though, uh, Ryan, I've got the quick fire round, so I'm going to read out a few names or tags and just ask you to share a few words or a few sentences on each one. Some of them you've touched on in the body of the interview, um, others that we've not brought up yet, okay? Okay. First one is Bob Lazar. Don't know him. <laughs> Thoughts on the story? Uh, honestly, you know, being one of the more known experiencers myself, I, I try not to cloud my knowledge with whatever I read on the internet. I don't know him. I will say this. Tyler Durden um, told my dad that he knew him and that Bob Lazar's uh, credentials really were ruined 
as a cover-up. That's all I'll say. Good stuff. That that that's fair. Follows on nicely from George Knapp's interview last week. I didn't uh, hear next it. up Sorry. is your thoughts on Louise. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Not yet. Give it a listen. It was some, there was some good stuff. Okay. Um, next up, it's Luis Elizondo. Your thoughts on Luis? He's a wonderful guy. Um, he is a hardcore patriot who loves his country. He truly does. And um, I think that he has contractual obligations on behalf of the United States government to try to get data. But um, he's the real deal. You know, he's the real deal. He's a friend of my father's. He's a very good man. The next one I'm asking from a point of view of if you've have ever had any experiences with these or if you even think they exist, but uh, men in black types. Yeah, I think Tyler Durden would be one of those, you know, a group of shadowy organization type people who um, kind of like Majestic 12 kind of thing. I, th- I think it's real, but the Hollywood version is a lie. I think Tyler Durden is one of those people. I think how Pavenmeyer... It was kind of like, at one point, one of those people. So, yeah. Awesome. Your thoughts on the three declassified videos that TTSA released back in 2017 of the UFOs? Well, that's a tough one. I knew that something was coming out before it did. I didn't know what it was going to be. So that was pretty cool, you know. And I do know that it was... Basically, Jim, who was, from what I understand, responsible for getting those out to the world. Jim Simivan is like the hidden gem of ufology that nobody has access to except very few. So I just hope that people realize how important Jim is. Um, My dad thinks it may be the same thing that he initially experienced on camera. So you you would say these are craft that aren't human origins? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, hopefully get some more of those this year. That would be good. Um, for you, do you prefer the term UFO or UAP? I prefer UFO. I think UAP is some uh, media blitz at trying to rebrand it. I don't think it needs that. I think UFO is classic. Um, I didn't see, you know, when I had my experience as a child, I wasn't seeing UAPs. I was seeing UFOs. You know, to me, it's, it has an emotional attachment. Um, people can say UAP. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that, but you asked what I prefer, UFO. Awesome. And the last one, Ryan, what is disclosure to you? Disclosure is not from the government. Disclosure is the revelation of the truth or the biblical word apocalypse, which is really, again, that language box. People see a word and they have an emotional attachment. What the word apocalypse mean means is to reveal that which is hidden. I think that when, as a human race, we come together and we reach that state of love on a collective level, disclosure will happen, and that will be the revelation of the truth. That's disclosure. We're not going to be dripped disclosure by some government entity. They don't own the keys to the truths of reality. Awesome. Um, Again, folks, Ryan will be joining us for another couple of minutes. He's been really good with his time uh, over at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. Ryan, how can people follow you or get in touch and keep up to date with your social media presence? Um, I just have a Twitter. Uh, It's Ryan D. Bledsoe. So that's it's just my personal opinions. I'm not like thinking on behalf of anybody. It's just 
me kind of, I don't always talk about UFOs. I think it's boring. I think I've been talking about them for not, no offense. I'm not saying on this show, but like on my Twitter, <laughs> All right, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't mean, no, like, that's fine. you know, I, I just mean in general, like, you, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, keep in mind, I don't only talk about UFOs. I talk a lot about my personal ideas and my personal thoughts and feelings. Um, you know, so don't think that you're going to be like subscribing to, you know, some UFO news, but you can follow me on there if you'd like. Awesome. That's great, Ryan. Thanks very much for joining the podcast. Look forward to getting you back on again in future as well. That would be great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fire. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was wet. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see. Because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think they be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake?